Right. So today I'm reading from 1 John chapter 5, from verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out, anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because he has not believed the testimony. God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. We, also, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. <clears throat> Today we're going to come to the end of our uh, series on the book of 1 John. And uh, just to uh, let you know where we're tracking for the future, uh, we're going to next Sunday commence a, a fresh study set of studies on, uh, on Genesis. We're going to pick up where we left off in uh, Genesis 12, and uh, a few where we finished uh, about a month or two back, and uh, we'll be uh, uh, working through Genesis chapter 12 through to ch- chapter 25 in the next series, and uh, so that actually covers the the life of Abraham and uh, the promises that God made uh, to Abraham, and uh, so we'll be uh, dealing with that over the next uh, probably I think five or six weeks, I think, and then, then we'll uh, come back to the rest of Genesis a bit later on. But uh, I want to ask you today to think about your relationship with God.
and how certain you are about your relationship with God. Do you think it's a sure thing? Uh, do you, are you absolutely certain that you have a relationship with the God who created the entire universe? Are you absolutely certain about that? Uh, or do you have question marks about that? Because the reason I mention that is that sometimes uh, we might think, well, I'm actually a little bit unsure about it. I mean, I, I hope that it's true. I believe and I trust the gospel, but, but maybe there's something more. Uh, maybe there's something more that I need to believe, that maybe there's something more that I need to experience, maybe there's something more that I need to do uh, in order to have a full relationship with the God who created the universe. I mean, we can ask ourselves, is it really that simple that all I need to do is trust in Jesus and turn to him? Or is the gospel just wishful thinking? Now, life is very complex. And to be perfectly honest with you, there's a whole stack of issues that, uh, you know, that um, we have to deal with in life uh, that I'm not absolutely certain about. And I haven't got the time or the energy or the inclination to uh, do the work that I need to do to arrive at absolute certainty on a whole stack of issues. And so there's a whole range of issues that I'm just prepared to believe what I'm told uh, because they're not actually all that important to me. <laughs> Uh, that's the reason for that. But when it comes to our relationship with uh, God, people like you and me, people who are Christians, well, we kind of value having some certainty, don't we? Uh, we, we, like to, we like to know that we have good, solid, strong reasons for believing that our relationship with God uh, is true and that we're not on the wrong track. Now, sometimes we can get a little bit rattled by people who tell us that faith in the, in the Jesus of the Bible is not quite enough. Um, as we wrap up John's letter, uh, I want to just backtrack and think about some of the context and so on, because you remember that when John wrote this letter, uh, he was living in the very great ancient city of Ephesus in uh, uh, modern-day Turkey. And he was living out his, his last days in Ephesus. And around that time in Ephesus, there was a Jewish man who was influencing some of the Christians. Uh, his name was Serinthus, and he had moved up from Egypt. Uh, he believed the Old Testament he believed parts of some of the Gospels, but he did not believe any of what the Apostle Paul had written. And there were men like Serinthus who had slithered their way into the Christian community, and they were men who claimed that they had a higher knowledge, that they knew more about God than what the Apostles did, and especially that they knew more about Jesus. Well, they knew more about the Christ. And uh, as you'll recall, uh, some of them had said that Jesus or that the Christ uh, wasn't really a man, 
that he might—he looked like a man. He seemed to be a man. Uh, others amongst them had said that uh, the Christ had entered into the man Jesus uh, when he was baptised and had departed from the man Jesus before he died on the cross. And so you can understand why this rattled some of the Christians because what they were saying is that if you only believe what the apostles teach about Christ, then you don't yet have the full thing. You're on shaky ground. And so throughout this letter, that's the issue that John's been addressing. And what's he been saying throughout this letter? He keeps on saying, that's not true. (laughs) That's not right. You're actually on solid ground. And you can see that if you have a look at, uh, I think it's in verse 13, which is, he, he talks about his very reason for writing to them. And in verse 13, he says this, he says, look, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that, that is, with the purpose that, with the goal that, you may know that you have eternal life. You see, that he wants them to know that they're not missing out on anything. They're not on shaking ground. They do have eternal life as members of God's family. Now, in this particular chapter, the, uh, the issue of being a part of a family of God's people uh, really is very important. With that thought in mind, let's have a look at verses 1 to 5. I'm going to read those for you. He says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. See the family imagery there? This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, John tells his readers here that anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been, well, they've been born again. They've been born of God. Do you see that? Uh, They have had this experience of of the new birth. Uh, which means that they've been born into a family. And it means that now that they've been reborn, that they have a heavenly father. And they also now have spiritual brothers and sisters. They're part of a very big family. And throughout this letter, John has been saying that there are three ways to test whether a person truly does have a relationship with God. Do you remember what the three tests are? You can probably see if you look at your notes there. Uh, The three tests are of the true Christian. Number one, the true Christian believes that Jesus is the Christ. Number two, the true Christian uh, loves their Christian brothers and sisters. And number three, the true Christian lovingly obeys the commands of the Father. Because it's like a family. It is a family. And the way you get into that family is by being born again, by putting your trust in the gospel, 
by the Holy Spirit actually uh, giving you that rebirth that uh, John recorded Jesus talking about in the conversation in John 3 with Nicodemus by being born again, born of God. Now, I am not actually a very visual, spatial kind of person. I graphs and mapping and all that sort of... I'm a kind of word logic sort of person, but if you're visual, spatial, you might actually uh, appreciate the diagram in your, in your outlines there. Because what I've tried to do there is I've tried to untangle verses 1 to 5 a little bit and summarise what it's saying in the form of a diagram. And uh, if you have a look at the diagram, what, what it's saying is that the heart of the matter is to be born of God. That's the heart. That's the essence of, of, the, uh, of the matter. And because someone is born of God, uh, they will, first of all, believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's the first test. Secondly, they will love the brothers and sisters. And thirdly, they will lovingly obey the Father, which means, by the way, that they've overcome the world because uh, their sins have been paid for. Death has been defeated. Uh, the grip that the evil one has over them uh, has been taken away. So they're the three tests. Uh, at the centre is being born of God. But notice of the three tests, those three key issues, that they are all connected. Because if someone belongs to the family, then they will obey their father and they will love their brothers and sisters. So if they're not obeying the father and not loving their brothers and sisters, it's probably because they're actually not born again. The, the, the core, the heart issue uh, is not present. Now, it begs a question, and that is the question of how can we be absolutely certain that Jesus really is the Christ? And that's a big question for, for us, for, for you and me. Uh, do we just believe that Jesus is the Christ, because we've been told that, and do we do so without thinking terribly hard about why we believe that he is the Christ? And that, that is very important because there are lots of people who want to say that Jesus is just some radical Galilean guru uh, who started up a new religion that is not all that dissimilar to Muhammad or Buddha or any of the other great religious leaders of the past, that he's just a man who started a religion. So how does John prove that Jesus, you know, the man who walked the dusty paths of Galilee, how does he prove that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the promised king that God had said was coming, the one who would rule over God's kingdom? How does he prove it? Well, under Old Testament law, um, particularly in Deuteronomy chapter 19, if you wanted to prove a case about a particular person in a court of law, how many witnesses did you need to have with you? Could you just front up by yourself and say, I accuse so-and-so, and how many witnesses did you need? You needed three. So it's actually two or three. Two's good, three is better. And so here, John says, I'm making a claim about this man. 
And my claim is that Jesus is fully Christ, the Son of God, and I've got three witnesses to prove it. Um, Verse 6. Verse 6, he says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. So he's saying he's got three witnesses, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. Now, what do you think that means? Uh, To be honest with you, these are difficult verses, and there's been a fair amount of ink spilt by theologians over how how we interpret these verses. Uh, Let me cut to the chase and let me tell you what I think that it means. And I think that context is really, really important here uh, because the the false teachers, some of the false teachers had claimed that the Christ actually entered into the body of Jesus at his baptism and then departed from him uh, prior to his crucifixion. And I think that uh, in that context, uh, John is saying no. And I've got three witnesses to prove it. Let's think about the first witness. The first witness is the water. And remember when Jesus was baptised in the Jordan River, uh, when he came up out of the water, when the dove descended upon him, that uh, there was a uh, quite extraordinary voice spoke from heaven. Remember? And what did God say from heaven? He said, this is my son, whom I love, In him I am well pleased. Uh, And uh, that's the kind of language that's used in the Old Testament of the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, He's not saying he has now become my son. Uh, He's saying this is my son. And there's no actual hint there that Jesus was somehow at that point being possessed by the Christ. He is the Christ. And, And this is testimony which is given by God the Father. It's clear evidence of who Jesus is. So when people say that Jesus is not the Christ, what are they saying? Well, there's only two options. They're either saying that what's recorded for us in the Gospels about the voice that came from heaven is not true, so that they're uh, denying the truthfulness of the Gospel accounts, or, as John himself says in verse 10, they're actually saying that God's a liar. Uh, that God said that that he's my son when he actually wasn't his son. That's the point that John is making there. Now, the second witness, uh, so the first witness is the fact, is the water at the baptism. The second witness is the blood. Now, when do we see Jesus' blood? It's at the crucifixion, isn't it? And at the crucifixion, you see, at the baptism, there was an extraordinary voice from heaven At the crucifixion, there was extraordinary signs from heaven as Jesus shed his blood. Uh, Think about the extraordinary signs. The the whole sky turned dark for three hours in the middle of the day. That's extraordinary. The the ground trembled. Uh, Massive boulders cracked open. Uh, the, uh, the, the, The huge curtain that was in the temple, the the curtain which was a symbolic barrier between God and man was ripped apart. 
Tombs broke open. Remember that? Tombs broke open and dead people were resurrected. They were seen walking around. That's extraordinary signs from heaven. And what does that testify to? Well, it testifies to the reality that death has now been defeated. It testifies to the reality that this Jesus is the Christ. It testifies to the reality that the Christ did not depart from him prior to his death, meaning that his death would be meaningless. But this was God's son, God the Christ, was dying on the cross. And so the water testifies and the blood testifies. There is a third witness whom John calls to the stand and in verse 6 he says, it is the Spirit who testifies. Now what does that mean? Well, I guess that there's a couple of different thoughts uh, that I have on that. That uh, One is there's the experiential reality that, that if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, then uh, the Holy Spirit within you uh, testifies to the truth of Jesus. And when you read the words of the apostles, it, it connects with your spirit, doesn't it? Uh, you experience that? Yeah, absolutely. But I think there's a more objective um, issue here as well, and that is the promises that, that Jesus had made uh, before he departed. So if you go back to one of, other, one of John's other writings, to John's Gospel and uh, chapter 15, just remember the promises that he made about the Spirit. So in John 15, which is on page 765, verse 26, uh, remember uh, Jesus referred to the Spirit as being the counsellor. Uh, the one who advocates uh, between us and God. In verse 26, when the and remember Jesus didn't want to leave. He said when he left uh, his disciples, he wouldn't be leaving them alone because he was going to send the Spirit, uh, who is God himself, into the world so that uh, we are not left without the presence of God. But in verse 26, when the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will, what does it say? Testify about me. And you also must, what does it say? Testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And so uh, the spirit testifies and the ones to whom Jesus is speaking are the apostles. The apostles will testify. Uh, they will receive the Holy Spirit. If you go to uh, chapter 16, verse 13, verse 13 uh, he says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. So what will the Spirit do for the, the apostles? He will guide them into all truth. See, the words of the, the testimony of the apostles is different, isn't it? Uh, it's different to uh, others. 
Uh, if you go back to 1 John, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Uh, we were there with him. Uh, we, we heard him. We saw him. We looked at him. We, we touched him. And he was no... Uh, he didn't just seem to be a man. He actually was a man. But uh, the point is that the Spirit is given to those who were with Jesus from the beginning, leading them into truth so that they would testify themselves to the truth as to who Jesus is. Now, some people would say, well, John's just saying, believe me because I say so. Uh, John's an apostle. John is a recipient of this promise from Jesus. So, um, there are three witnesses. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And he goes on to say that if we accept the testimony of man, then how much more should we therefore accept the testimony of God? Which means, friends, that what we think about Jesus uh, really does matter. That uh, it's important that we understand who Jesus is rightly and that we understand from the testimony of the apostles. Because this is a life and death matter uh, and there are only two options. Um, have a look at verses 11 and 12. In verse 11... And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Who is it who has true life? Who is it who has life as God intended? Who is it who has eternal life, which in the Bible to have eternal life is to be in a relationship with your creator. Who is it? It is he who has the son. So there's two options. If you, if you have the son, you have life. If you reject the son, then you might look like you have life, but that's only because of God's mercy. In reality, you do not have life. You're not living for the purpose for which you've been created. and You will not live with God in his heaven for eternity. There's only two choices. But some people say, hang on a minute, there's not just two choices, there's three choices, or four choices. There's many, many ways that you can get to God. It's, it doesn't depend on whether you believe and trust in Jesus. There's many ways that you can get to God. In 1993, at the uh, General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, in Scotland, uh, somebody moved a motion on the floor of the assembly to ask the assembly to make a declaration to declare that Jesus is the only way of salvation and therefore the Christ. They had to move a motion on the floor of the General Assembly. <laughs> That's scary, isn't it? You know what's even more scary? The motion was lost. 
the motion failed because they did not want to exclude other ways that people can get to God, which means that they do not believe the testimony that God himself has given concerning his son. It's scary, isn't it? And that's, uh, in case you think I'm, you know, poking fun at another church, that's the kind of the, the Presbyterian church. Imagine what goes on in some of the other churches, you know. It's, it's a bit scary out there, right? Uh, but John's readers had believed. They were members of God's family. They were right with God. And so as he concludes his letter, what he wants to do now is he wants to spell out for them some of the implications of what it means to have that to be a part of God's family, to be born into God's family. And there are three implications that I'll draw out for you. First of all, if we belong to God's family, then that means that God is now our heavenly Father. And hey, if God is your heavenly Father, you really want to make use of that relationship. How do we make use of that relationship? What's one of the key ways that we make use of the fact that we have a relationship with God as our heavenly Father? We are people who pray. We can talk to the God who created the universe. That's making use of that relationship. Have a look at verses 14 and 15. Verse 14. He says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's good news, isn't it? And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Um, Now, that's an interesting couple of verses there, I think, because uh, of the uh, the promise that... uh, if we ask anything, that he hears us and we can know that we have what we asked of him. Um, some Christians actually think that, we, that God, God writes us a blank check, that uh, he's saying, whatever you ask, I'm going to give to you. But there's a critical clause in that promise there, isn't there? Do you see what the critical clause is? It says, do you see it? If you ask according to his according to his will. I'm pretty glad of that. I'm glad that God doesn't give me everything that I ask for because I've asked for some pretty stupid things in the past. I've asked for some things which they seemed right to me in my immaturity at the time, but down the track I've realised, hey, that would have been really bad if God had given me exactly what I asked. But hey, I'm really glad that my heavenly Father listens to my prayers, that he knows what my concerns are, and he answers my prayers by giving me that which is best for me. And sometimes that means he doesn't give me what I want. Sometimes it means he gives me something which is much better for my godliness. Because that's what God's concerned about, isn't he? He's concerned about our godliness. He's concerned about whether or not we're, having, we're, we're believing the right things about Jesus. He's concerned about whether we're obeying his commands. He's concerned about whether we are loving our brothers and sisters. And so as members of the family... This is the second implication. As members of the family, we should actually be caring for our brothers and sisters and praying for them. Look at verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother 
commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, if you reckon there was a lot of ink spilt over the water, spirit and, uh, and blood verse, there's been a lot of uh, ink that's been spilt over this as well. The sin that leads to death. Look, ultimately, I think that the sin that leads to death is to reject Jesus. Uh, that's, if the basis upon having life is to accept Jesus, then continual stubborn rejection of Jesus is the unforgivable sin. You can't be forgiven if you're rejecting Jesus. Uh, forgiveness only comes through accepting Jesus. I might say a little bit more about that in a moment, but one thing we know for certain is this, and that is the three tests that God wants. If you want to think, what is God's will? Well, God wants us to believe the right things about Jesus. He wants us to obey his commands, and he wants us to love our brothers and sisters. And so... Um, is that what we pray for ourselves? Is that, do you, when you pray for yourself, do you normally pray that you would not deviate from the truth about Jesus? Do you pray that God would give you the knowledge and the heart to obey his commands? Do you pray that God would help you to uh, act in a loving and gracious and kind manner to those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ? It's good to pray for ourselves, isn't it? To pray those things. And how about praying that for others? See, think about it this way. How do you respond when you become aware or you notice or you think that one of the brothers and sisters in the church uh, is actually acting in a sinful way, that they're caught up in a particular sinful habit or doing something which is just sinful? What's your first response you don't have to answer that. I'll answer it for you. My first response sometimes is to point the finger at them in my head, to, to, to be judgmental, to be critical of them and to think I'm somehow... But what John is saying here is, hey, how about praying for them? How about, how about in sadness and in love for them actually praying to our, our shared Heavenly Father now, if there was a member of my family who was going off the track, I wouldn't be judging and criticising them. I'd be praying for them. It's saying, here, do that for your spiritual family as well. I think would uh, be a, but, yeah, that leads to great uh, health in, in, uh, in the family of God's people. But the false teachers were not brothers. Uh, they taught that the man who died on the cross... Uh, wasn't actually the Christ. He didn't have any power to pay for your sin. And so they have rejected Jesus the Christ. And they've gone around teaching others to reject him as well. And it seems to me in the context that that is the sin that leads to death. And here in verse 16, John is saying to his readers, look, I'm not insisting that you pray for, uh, for that. I'm not insisting that you pray for them. But pray for each other. If you see a brother or sister committing a sin, why not pray for them? We're in the same family. 
And our Father listens to us and has the power to act. Now, thirdly and finally, as members of God's family, we should always put our Father as first in our lives. Take a look at how John wraps up the letter, uh, verse 20. He says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What's he saying there, friends? He's saying we're not missing out on anything. He said, uh, through Jesus, through Jesus, we already know him who is true. We don't need more knowledge. We already know him who is true. Through Jesus, in fact, we are in him who is true. We're part of his family. Is there anything that could be more thrilling than that? Is there anything that could be more thrilling than to be a a sinful human being who's been been given access into a relationship with the God who created the entire universe? Is there anything more exciting about that? Are Are you missing out on anything? Is there anything more than that you could have? Well, sometimes we think that life could be more satisfying. Sometimes we think that life could be more meaningful if we just had that extra knowledge about God or that extra spiritual experience or if we did something extra or if we moved away from the gospel and moved into new and more exciting spiritual realms. We can sometimes think that. Or maybe if we just relax a bit on the whole spiritual side of things and uh, just absorb some of the values of the, of the world around us and start more for the material things that our non-Christian friends are living for and seeking meaning and substance in life from. John in his final words says this, verse 21, he says, so dear children, keep away from idols. Keep clear from idols. Don't let the things which are false and temporary take the place in your heart of the one who is true and eternal, the true God who has already given us eternal life. There's nothing better than that, folks. Let's stick with the gospel. Let's keep on obeying God's commands and loving each other as brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the way that John has addressed the issue of his day amongst his churches. And Father, we pray for ourselves. We pray that we would have a clear and discerning understanding of who Jesus is, that he is your promised Christ, who has been the sufficient sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Father, we pray that uh, we would be people who, uh, in response to that, uh, 
because we're now in a relationship with you, that we would be ones who eagerly desire to obey your commands. And Father, as we are now part of a family of your people, we pray that we would be loving towards each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, help us uh, when we see a brother stumbling uh, rather than to being, being critical and judgmental, that we would in fact, in humility, uh, seek to help that person and uh, that we would do so firstly by praying for them. Father, we pray that you would uh, keep us, help us to stay clear of idols, that we would have such a, a grasp of how wonderful it is to be in your family, in relationship with you, that we would seek no other joy, no other fulfilment uh, apart from that uh, wonderful relationship, that we would not move away from that. And we, we pray, Father, we want to thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>